Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Good morning, beloved friends. Some of you may recognize this poem by Mary Oliver titled, The Journey. I used it this past March to begin the season of Lent. It was a way to capture the journey each of us is called to take throughout our lifetime and the challenges we face when trying to claim and express our most authentic selves or what we might say our most God-given voice. Who would have known over 112 days later how apropos those words would be to us today? We have been on quite a journey since the beginning of March. But today I am offering this poem as a way to introduce and frame our fourth and final question of this sermon series called, How Then Shall We Live Our Life? Oliver's poem leads us, it seems to me, right up to the door of our final question. What is our gift to the family of the earth? As I push open that door today, what I hear and see revealed as, again, at least a partial answer to the question is this. We ourselves, the totality of our broken and blessed lives, is the gift we have to offer to the family of the earth. Let me explain. Each week we have spent time wondering out loud who and how we are called to be in this very distressingly disruptive deeply disturbing and unavoidably grievous time in our world. Over the past three weeks, you have heard me say some very hard things. I have spoken words from this pulpit I have never said before, not because they haven't been true, but because I have opted out at times and allowed myself and my white privilege to keep me safe and at arm's length from what might upset or disturb or alienate others. I was taught as a child that color didn't matter and everyone should be treated the same. Well, 
The second half of that lesson was and is still true, of course, but the untold damage of my complicit colorblindness has simply perpetuated a myth revealing a tri tra trail of incomprehensible carnage. I see now the damage the church has also played in the process of perpetuating systemic racism and that it has been long past time for us to stop, to stop and hear how Jesus needs us to follow his lead, walking down a very different path indeed. For those of us who consider themselves white, the time is now. Well, actually, it was 400 years ago, but the second best time is now. Our best gift, therefore, is to courageously bring our full selves, all of what is broken and blessed, our flaws, our shortcomings, our blindness, all of it, to this reality, embracing and facing into Jesus' call to expose and eradicate the barriers and divisions keeping us from living Christ-centered, deeply connected lives. The time for finger-pointing and blaming and denying and scapegoating must end, and we must be willing to risk the discomfort that no doubt will come our way. There will always be those who blame and complain and need to scapegoat. Our gospel passage from Matthew today underscores some of these same issues. We find Jesus talking to the crowds and praising the ministry of John the Baptist. And then he comes up with what sounds like a strange question, asking, to what will I compare this generation? Picture a group of children playing a game outside. And then someone complains, saying that they should be playing inside. Then the group gets up and goes and plays inside. And again, someone complains that they need to be playing outside. And on and on and back and forth. Nothing is ever quite right, and someone is always at least a little bit wrong. What I hear in this passage in light of our question is that offering the gift of our lives must rest in the good news of the gospel. We will always find ways to disagree on method, but the message we hear and offer must be consistent. As Oliver describes, little by little we must leave the other voices behind because there is a new voice, what I would describe as our true voice, waiting to be heard. It is the voice of our very lives that becomes the basis of the answer to our question today. What is our gift to the family of the earth? It is the voice of our lives when we embrace Jesus' invitation not only to follow him, but to embrace him as a guide, a friend, a rebbe, a co-conspirator, an agitator, a comforter, and the one who calls us to a path of healing and reconciliation and hope again and again and again. Earlier this year, some of us read Joan Chittister's wonderful book, The Time Is Now, A Call to Uncommon Courage. We explored her compelling plea to embrace a prophetic spirituality in our own lives. Her words have new urgency for me in this context. She implored us to find the courage necessary to have meaningful conversations about how we are to live our lives as followers of Christ if we accept we have a moral and spiritual responsibility to reject or at the very least challenge all, everything that is not of God sourced from love in the world.
through that lens, offering the gift of prophetic voices demands we face into hard questions. What will we say? What will we challenge? What will we do? The dedication of her book is to all of us, average, faithful people yearning for justice and equality. And in these words, I find hope as we dare to believe that God has gifted us, even us, with something we're sharing with the family of the earth. She writes, It is the unwavering faith, the open hearts, and the piercing courage of people from every society that carries us through every major social breakdown to the emergence again of the humanization of humanity. So as we finish this sermon series, I pray that some of what we have explored together stays with us. I invite you to continue this conversation. We have begun with these four questions, praying that they will continue to shape and challenge and mold who we are as disciples and as a community of faith. Here are some of the things I will continue to pray on, asking for more clarity and wisdom. Sermon 1, who are we as apostles? What would it mean for us to go where we are sent, to wait until we are shown what to do, to do it with our whole selves, remain until we have done what we were sent to do, walk away with empty hands? Sermon 2, what do we love and pay attention to? Where are the places in our lives when we have been silent, complicit, or simply and dangerously inattentive of bias and privilege? Standing on the corner of St. Clair and Adams, what needs our attention? Sermon 3, how shall we live knowing we will die? Are we willing to live by Maya Angelou's words, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better? How can we learn to receive, to listen, to move out of the center of our worlds? And Sermon 4, what is our gift to the family of the earth? Are we willing to offer our gifts of unwavering faith, open hearts, and piercing courage to the family of the earth until together we discover the re-emergence of the humanization of humanity. I want to end this morning and this extended conversation we've been having with an adaptation of a prayer written 1,200 years ago by Alcuin of York, an English churchman who was a scholar and a theologian, a liturgist and an educator. May these words written all of these years ago find new life and meaning in our hearts. And may they charge and challenge us as apostles compelled to live Christ-centered lives. Thank you for walking this road with me. We do make this way by walking together. God, go with us. Help us to be an honor to the church. Give us grace to follow Christ's word, to be clear in our task and careful in our speech. 
give us open hands and joyful hearts. Let Christ be on our lips. May our lives reflect a love of truth and compassion. Let no one come to us and go away sad. May we offer hope to the poor and solace to the disheartened. Let us so walk before God's people that those who follow us might come into God's kingdom. Let us sow living seeds, words that are quick with life, that faith may be the harvest in people's hearts, in word and in example. Let our lights shine in the dark like the morning star. Do not allow the wealth of the world or its enchantment flatter us into silence as to your truth. Do not permit the powerful or judges or even our dearest friends to keep us from professing what is right, what is true, what is of God. May it be so.